walked away, never seen again. It's dangerous to sit in the front row. I don't know if everybody got a chance to see our prodigal son return, but Mr. Scott Shepherdstein is here with us. <clears throat> Wave, Scott, so everybody knows where they are so they can give you a hard time when they see you. He has brought with him a friend who is also on staff up at Covenant Life Church. Matt, I don't, I don't remember your last name, Matt. Matt Walden? Wall, just like a wall. Matt Wall is here with us as well. Please get a chance to greet Matt. Thank you for coming down. They, they're not moving real quickly today. They did the crawfish boil thing yesterday and then did all kinds of New Orleans cuisine the rest of the day yesterday and late into the evening. So can you kind of maybe nudge both of them during the message and make sure they're still awake? All the tryptophan happening in their brain is going to put them to sleep here. Well, this morning, um, well, let me also throw in a quick update here. I'll make mention of this, particularly in the message also. We had a meeting this past week, I know many of you were praying for us as we met with uh, our city council person and neighbors who have um, been a bit of a challenge lately in our building process. Well, this morning you have a, a set of notes in front of you that it's titled Hindrances from Within and Without. Um, let, me, let me give you a little bit of a parameter for this message. Normally, our goal in preaching the Word is to do exactly that. It is to preach and teach the Word of God. And if we, we believe if we're faithful to the text of Scripture that we're going to be dealing with the real issues of life because we don't believe this is some antiquated book that doesn't touch real life, that this book is about living life the way in which it was meant to be lived. It puts the important things in front of us. It clarifies what's most important. It put God's puts God into the picture of our lives in a way that He's supposed to be there, and it maintains our focus in the right places, and it causes everything else to fall into place. So, if, you know, if we teach from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we're going to learn what matters the most. And so normally what we're doing is, it, is we're teaching from a particular passage, or we're going through a book as we're studying through the Gospel of John right now. This morning is a little bit different only because, and this is, I think, a function of the pulpit as well, is to preach a sense of the now of God, almost a prophetic element in which, what, what is God sometimes trying to say to us right now? Not just what God has revealed in Scripture that we all need to know and understand in order to appropriate into our lives. But what is God sometimes saying to a particular gathering of people at any particular time? And um, what I'm going to share with you this morning really was, was the Lord steering me off the course I was desiring to go on to preach this morning into a different direction. Thursday night I just had a, a sense of burden in praying for the church. In the, and the Lord just began to take me more and more into the area of understanding hindrances and the activity of hindrances in our lives as believers. And you know, I wrestled with that significantly Thursday night, Friday morning, still feeling like I wanted to prepare for the message that would have been the next one that I had been thinking toward and just could not get a release from the Lord to go with that message. And so I feel like this morning what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to identify and understand hindrances as they are shown to us biblically. And I believe it's because we are in a period... As a, as a season, as a church together, where there are significant hindrances taking place. 
There are many things, I believe, that are hindering your life, our life together as a church, your individual callings and walk as a believer, what God has for us in the future. And I think to be ignorant of that, I think, will be uh, detrimental to us. Let me start with a good definition for the word hinder. Webster says, hinder is to keep back, to restrain, get in the way of, prevent, stop. It means to make difficult for, to thwart or impede or to frustrate. Synonymously, hinder implies a holding back of something about to begin and connotes a thwarting of progress. Now, and here's what I want you to do with that definition. I want you to think into the significant categories of your life. I want you to think about whether those words would be words that describe how you're feeling in the significant categories of your life. Are you, are you feeling restrained? Are you feeling dif- there's difficulty in these particular settings of my life? I, I feel like progress is being impeded. I feel like I have a desire to move forward. I want to make progress, but progress is slow if it's even noticeable. I'm frustrated in significant areas in my life. I want you to think through some of these categories that I've put there in your outline. How many here this morning would feel like in personal areas of freedom, whether it's eating and health-related issues, or whether it's lust issues or laziness Issues or, or lying and deceit issues. You would have good intentions. You would have a desire to be making progress, to be moving quickly. But when you look at your life, you're not. You're moving much slower. It just seems to be much more difficult. You know, in all these categories, spiritual growth. We've talked a lot about discipleship lately and the importance of getting the principles of, of discipleship in our lives. I think many folks would respond with, yes, that bears witness with me. I want to do that. But man, I'm having a hard time getting it going. And we've heard several messages recently and throughout this beginning of this year about the importance of being in the Word, studying the Word, and making room in our lives for the Word. And every, all of us amen that. But how many of us feel like we're sort of still close to being in the same place we were just a, a month or two ago? We've been convicted by some things. There's been some revelation that's been helpful. But I don't feel like I'm making a whole lot of progress in that. You know, in every one of these areas, I almost feel like there's, there's a picture on the brochure. You know, you read the brochure about any of these areas, spiritual discipleship and personal freedoms, marriage. Oh, y'all read the marriage brochure before you got married? Did you read that one? You know, it's got, it almost it has this, I don't know, it's, it's the athlete. He's kind of running so fast there's a blur. It's just kind of, oh, he's making such progress. Then you got married. And you started running. And you feel like you're, you're in a pool, in a swimming pool, with water over your head running. Just, you know, I don't look like the brochure. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. Parenting. I mean, I read the parenting brochure. I don't even want your money back. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm just watching, watching older issues develop in people's lives. And I'm, I'm sitting there the other day, Gene and I are in the kitchen. And I'm, I'm looking at Drew and he's... You know, at this point, he's, he's not the big fat crybaby anymore. He's, he's graduated from that. He's acceptable and lovable and cute. Yeah. Yeah, see, we're, we're all excited about it. It's, it's a glorious day for all of us. Well, he's sitting there on this counter, and he's just sitting in the little, little seat thing that little five-month-old sit in, and he's just loving it and kicking and screaming and, and laughing and cutting up and just being cute as can be. And I had to stop and pause 
you know, concerning other issues. And I'm saying, babe, I just want you to explain to me, how, how do they go from this to that? You know, how, how does that happen? I want my money somewhere in between here and there. I'm going to want my money back. Uh, but, you know, there's like this brochure version of life that it looks like everything just goes smoothly. It just works out. You know, we always kind of tell this joke to couples when we're doing counseling with them for marriage. Because at that point, couples will agree to anything. I mean, I mean you, you can sit down with them and say, okay, we're going well, to have about six, seven, eight meetings with you throughout. And it almost doesn't matter. We could talk about cult sacrifices and sliding down razor blades into a pool of alcohol. And they would say, sure, yeah, you know, we do that. You know, for the glory of God, yeah, we, we'll do that. And yeah, I just love, you know, I just love, I'm called, I'm loved. And, and, and yet, you know, that's the brochure. And then you get into the real world of marriage. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's moving slow. It's problematic. You want to quit. One problem arises after another. It gets old. It gets boring. There's, there's something to all these things. How many of you guys are... Oh, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you guys have gone into business for yourself? Didn't, that, didn't the brochure look great on that? Oh, in business, be my own boss, you know? I mean, you know, you're like running in a pool of water now. It's just not that easy. The buck stops with you. It's more hours than you thought. The finances aren't quite going where you thought it was going to be. You're making more money at this point than you are. And you're barely getting by. And, it's, and you're working more than you worked before when you worked for somebody else. It just didn't turn out exactly the way you thought. Or, or financial issues. I just know so many folks in the church right now that you know, I think economically there's... there's Things feeding into this for all of us, but many folks struggling financially. There's not a lot of room, not a lot of comfort in financial parts of our lives. Kingdom advancement. Kingdom advancement is a huge thing. It should always be a huge thing for us. We step out to, to reach out, do evangelism, do mercy ministry. Minister into people's lives, see people get freed from sin issues in their lives and controlling factors in their lives. You know, on the brochure, it looks one way. When you step in there to do it, walk with somebody who's going through a problem. Share truth with them. You know, you thought you had the ultimate scripture and the ultimate illustration for their need. And you share it with them and, and it doesn't bring about any change. <laughs> They're still right where they are. Right? Why, why are things so challenging and difficult? Very concerned for our youth. Concerned for, for just... Seeing uh, a lack in the category of being launched into a greater passion, greater affection for God, greater enamoring with the kingdom of God, running hard after God. Um, You know, we put the, the YAP ministry elements together where we would strengthen parents and family relationships because that's the primary means of ministering to children. And I've got to tell you, the brochure version of that thing is a whole lot easier than the real-life version of that thing. Well, why is that? Well, because there is such a thing in this world called hindrances. Things get hindered in our lives. And what I want to do today is I want to just take us on a little Bible tour of hindrances that we're experiencing. And I, I want to make sure everybody's owning something here. Um, there's some marriage dynamics. 
here this morning. Here. I don't have to talk about anybody else here this morning. Where roles of husbands and wives are confused, being neglected, not want to be done. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. It's hard for wives to submit and seek the headship of their husband and promote it. Especially when you consider the guy you're married to, right? (laughs) Poster child for this guy can't be doing it right. I mean, isn't that true? If there's anybody you're sure isn't doing it right, isn't it your husband? I mean, you think everybody else's husband's probably doing it somewhat right, but you're sure this guy isn't doing it right. And yet you're supposed to be submitting to him. Husbands leading rather than abdicating leadership. The atmosphere of homes working at our marriages so that they continue to grow and have fresh life in them. There's just a lot of elements that I, I would know of just in the church where, where there's a struggle in some of these areas. Now, this message doesn't mean anything to you unless you're aware that you're facing hindrances right now in your life. So I'm going to get you to participate before I preach any further. All those categories, you probably see some that are issues for you. Couples that are pursuing courtship. Friendships that have become fractured and problematic. How many guys, I'm going to make you stand now. How many guys can say there are significant hindrances in your life? Go ahead and stand up if if that's true. You look on that list and you see, there are significant hindrances in my life. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I believe this morning you have desired to address us where we are, where we're living. Lord, these folks standing, and I stand with them. Lord, there are significant hindrances in our lives. And Lord, for some here, there is the temptation with those hindrances that have been so severe and so effective to become very discouraged to want to quit, to feel as though there's nothing that can be done that will make much of a difference in the future, to take our eyes off of your promises, your power, your spirit, and your purposes in our midst, and to only be absorbed in the thought that this doesn't work. Lord, that's the reality that's getting played out when we pick our heads up off the pillow in the morning have to face another day, when we bump into one another and encounter yet again another setback in our relationship. Lord, you know how we are responding to hindrances. God, would you come meet us this morning? We need an encounter with you this morning. We don't just need to listen to some guy put a bunch of words together. We need the spirit of the living God in this place, piercing our hearts and affecting our thoughts so that we walk from here with a spirit-given faith to walk in the future. So God, thank you for your truth and all that we will see in your word today. Apply it to our lives so that we might truly have abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may sit down. I want to walk through what I titled in the, the Bible on hindrances. How does the Bible describe the effect of hindrances on our lives? How does it, how does it describe it? I'm going to try and limit my discussion here because could, we could get real big uh, because there's so many things that fall in the category of hindrances and obstacles in life. 
But I'm going to try and limit it to really where the Bible actually uses that word, hindrance or hinders. Uh, I may skirt outside of it just a little bit, but we're going to try and stay within that bounds. Where do hindrances come from? I think we'll be surprised to see what the origins of them are. I'm actually going to draw your attention to 12 of them today. 12 origins. I believe there's much more than that. But 12 origins of hindrances. And how should we respond to encountering hindrances? The first one we'll look at is is doctrinal hindrances. Beliefs that lead to hindrances. You, You can believe certain things. And if you do, your life is postured to have hindrances in it, to have impediments, to thwart progress, to be difficult, to get in the way, to make you stand in one spot. I mean, how many of us as Christians would have to admit, I've been here in this spot, in this area of experience in my life for the last 10 years. My marriage has been in this condition for the last 10 years, my parenting for the last 10 years, my spiritual disciplines for the last 10 years. It's like if we keep majoring in the ideas that are floating around in our heads, the doctrines, the things that we're choosing to believe, we're not going anywhere. To do something different usually, usually requires that you believe something different. You keep the same dumb old ideas going on in our lives. You're going to keep getting the same stuff you've been getting. This is not mysterious. This is just flat true. You know the precursor to everything you and I are going to do tomorrow? There's the thoughts that we're thinking today. Whatever it is I believe today, really believe, I'm convinced in my heart, that's the stuff that ramps up my activities. It ramps up my actions. It ramps up how I relate to people. So if my thinking is wrong, if my doctrine is wrong, what I believe is to be true about life, then... My life is going to have problems in it tomorrow. I can't avoid it. Now, how many of us would, would have to realize our current beliefs, current beliefs, our current real beliefs? You know, you have, you have book beliefs. You know, well, technically, I believe that. Well, of course. You know, we love to sit in the message. Yeah, I know that. Amen, brother. <laughs> Walk out of here and, and act like it is completely a lie. That was the most dumb thought I've ever heard in my life. I mean, theoretically, I know, you know, young people believe the word of honor your parents, obey and honor your parents in the Lord. For this is, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. So you want to figure out, how, how can I get it to go well with me in my life? Well, back up a little bit. Honor and obey your parents. Well, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I'm with you. Really? Until you walk out into real life and have to pull that off. See, functionally, we don't agree. See, if I want it to go well with me, I need to be in control. I need to to be setting the agenda, setting the pace, determining who I'm going to be around, what's important, where I go, where I don't go, what kind of time usage is going to be. You know, I don't want my parents to be dictating that. I don't want them to be too involved with those aspects of my life. See, because I want it to go well with me. Well, if you want it to go well with you, then honor and obey them. Well, you know, I mean, I know the Bible says that, and I don't want to argue with it, and I'm with you on that, but I really don't believe it. Well, then you have just brought a hindrance into your life. Your real-life doctrine is hindering you. I mean, wives, what do you do, wives, with the Scriptures? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
so that even if your husband is disobedient to the word, he may be one, yet without even a word from you, as he observes your chaste and respectful behavior. All right, now come on. How many of you know when your husband is not obedient to the word, he's not doing what you want him to do, how many of y'all choose to just let your behavior do the talking? Now, I'm not talking about refrigerator behavior. I'm not talking about, I'm just, I am now a human ice block living in the home with you. Feel my coldness. You know, I'm not talking about those kind of actions. It says chaste and respectful behavior, by the way. You know, functionally speaking, we all, yeah, we all agree with that. But if your husband won't obey the word, how many of you know you're looking for every wrench in your toolbox to figure out what screw to turn next? I'm going to turn the heat up. I'm going to corner you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get somebody else to do this to you. I'm going to work everywhere I can. Because functionally, I don't believe that word. I don't believe that God might show up in a supernatural way by me honoring him in faith and saying, God, that's what you said to do. I will do it. And God, you're going to come into this moment in a way that none of my dealings could ever be that effective. Now, how many of you know if you... Don't hold on to that and walk it out. You are bringing hindrances into your life. And turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me. Folks in Galatia were about to be warned by Paul here that they are hindering the grace of God by what they are choosing to believe. Their doctrine was actually hindering the grace of God. Now, for them, it was an error that had to do with introducing a realm of human merit into the activity of the grace of God. And you and I can do that in a whole bunch of ways. And for them, it was going to be the source of hindering the grace of God acting in their lives. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Let me just give you a little parameter here. What's happening to the Galatians is this idea, this Judaistic idea, is trying to marry itself together with Christianity. It's trying to marry itself to the person and work of Christ. It is the Old Testament, Old Covenant practice of circumcision as a rite that was part of the covenant pronouncing you as a a member, the covenant people of God. And these are not folks that are turning around, and this is very significant, these are not people that are turning around and saying, listen, Christ is not the way. His sacrifice is insignificant. I mean, he was a great guy. We all appreciate some things he had to say, but you don't really need to believe in him. What you need is circumcision. This is not a substitute. It is an add-on. These guys were not, were not abandoning Christ and who he proclaimed himself to be. They were simply adding a human work to that system of belief. Now, this is very important. Because for you and I, growing up in New Orleans, the issue isn't circumcision. The issue is sacraments. Activities that you and I grew up with, many of us that grew up Catholic, grew up around rituals and traditions and practices that many people are treating in a very similar way here. It's not the 
It's not we're going to abandon Christ. It's just we're going to add something to it. Christ did this. That's great. And we're grateful for it. And it opens, it opens up to heaven to us. Now we must do this in order to fully participate and to be accepted and to gain, to have a meritorious platform into which God can now find something in us that merits his blessing and his involvement in our lives. That's what they were doing then. That's still occurring today. Listen to what Paul continues to say. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. And he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith, working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you? From obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, in this particular, and in Galatians would be a very important, probably one of the most important books for people from New Orleans to read. Because a little leaven, a little leaven of human merit leavens the whole lump of Christianity. If you introduce any component that what God requires in order for his work of salvation and for him to posture himself favorably toward you, if you require human merit, no matter what you want to call it, whether you want to call it circumcision or communion or being baptized, whatever you want to call it, if the moment you introduce human merit, you have leavened the whole lump of grace and you've hindered it. Grace cannot be grace. Romans 11 says... If it's on the basis of works, it's no longer on the basis of grace. And therefore, grace is no longer grace. The moment grace needs a motive to be found in us for God to act toward us, it's no longer grace. So grace can never look upon merit and get motivated. Not in us. Because the merit is 100% found in Christ. But what's happening here is, here you have other thoughts that are coming in, other doctrines that are coming in. And according to Paul, they are hindering the grace of God. Listen, if you're, if you're still wrestling through your performance and what you have to do in order to get God to be favorable toward you, then, then you are actually believing something that is hindering the grace of God in your life. And, and listen, we live by grace. Everything we do is by grace. If you're hindering the grace of God, then you are being hindered all over the place. Listen, I know I'm, I'm, I'm skating on the edge of some people's toes and saying some of this, but I mean, I've just been in this church for many, many years, been in New Orleans for my whole life, and I just know people carry some of these human merit dimensions into their Christianity, wherever you got it from, whether it's just a personal tradition you made up or whether it's what you, you grew up in your family. I, mean, I can remember for years I'd bump into people who would come to church here, but yet they, they still felt like they had to go to the Mass. So they would do both on a weekend. And my question for you is, why? Well, I just, I, just, I just feel like I have to do that. I feel like I should do that. Why? What if you didn't? What if you never went to Mass again ever in the rest of your life? Would you be worried about that? It's just a little bit of a, ooh, I don't know, I might be in, I might be in trouble somehow if I did that. 
That might could be a problem. Would that put you in a position of demerit? You haven't done something that you think is meritorious. So I know there's some mystery here, and for some folks it's not really clear why they feel that way. But the discomfort of actually pulling that out of one's life almost as though, well, there is a merit in that that is not in this. Well, if you've introduced an ounce of merit into the ocean of grace, that ocean is no longer grace. Because it's been polluted by your contribution. If God looks upon any of my contributions, it is unrighteousness that's being contributed. The moment I touch it. So God doesn't find his motive to deal with me graciously in my activity. He finds it in himself. And the moment it becomes centered in me, it's no longer grace. Luke says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. See, doctrine brings about hindrances. Romans 16 says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Here, make a note there. That's an origin. This whole section, but particularly right there. Where do hindrances come from? They originate in teachings contrary to that which you've learned from the Bible. Anytime you are believing something that you cannot find as a biblical truth, you have brought a hindrance into your life. Now listen, what I want to say, when we get done with all 12 of these, all of us need to recognize life's hard enough. Amen? Life is hard enough. You don't need to add to it with any of these 12 possibilities. But some of us are going to find as we look through this list that one of the reasons why we are so frustrated and so discouraged and so wanting to quit and not moving is because we have loaded our lives with hindrances. In this setting, because we believe the wrong thing. Paul goes on. He says, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Now, what's interesting here is these contrary ideas are going to be smooth and flattering. They're going to sound appealing. You will like the way they sound. There will be something about, listen, there's something about human merit that we like. It's a pride in us. I love the thought that I can put God on a string and earn something from him. Now, when I think soberly and I realize how disqualifying I really am and how my righteousness is as filthy rags before God, now, then I get better biblically informed and I don't want to play that game anymore. But if, I, if I'm ignorant of much of Scripture and I say, well, you know, if I say this many prayers this way and go to these meetings this many times, well, then somehow I feel better with God. Well, but that's not biblically true, though. That's contrary to biblical teaching, yet it's smooth and flattering. I like the way it sounds. And there'll be all kinds of teachings that we can like the way they sound. But they are interesting. This word for hinder here in Romans is the word scandalon. And it describes the trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed, and which, when touched by the animal, springs and causes it to close, causing entrapment. And that's an interesting definition. That's another origin of hindrances. Where do hindrances come from? They come from bait. They come from things that uniquely and particularly allure us. Something about this idea, it gives me license, 
It validates me. There's something in this presentation of a principle or a teaching that I like that. I'm moving. to It's bait. The problem is when I get my hands on that thing, it's going to spring closed on me. And it's going to trap me in it. And I'm going to be hindered by it. It's going to lock itself around my leg. And making any progress then is going to be a hindrance for me to walk out in the future. Now, interesting, this is kind of an ugly thing to say, isn't it? But Paul says to the Romans, people who are bringing these dissensions and these hindrances, turn away from them. Turn away from them. This is where pastoral ministry can seem ugly. This is where, if you actually take the Bible seriously, a lot of people won't like you and will think that you're cold and mean. I mean, how do you, I mean, this is in the Bible, right? Everybody reading this with me? You did read that word, turn away. Actually, the Bible's actually telling you, get away. Get away from that person. Now, somehow we've got this real blurry, fuzzy Christianity that's kind of like, well, you know, we're just, you know, we're Christian flower children. We're just here to love everybody, man. You know, it doesn't seem right. We're just supposed to love them, man. We just love them right where they're at. We get involved, we hang out with them. We just, we just kind of love them into the kingdom. Well, you know what? For you, if that person's an allurement and they are contradicting and, and you are prone to believe, your job is no longer to be a flower child to them. Your job is to turn your back and walk away from them. Turn away from them. See, I know sometimes I will say some things from the pulpit about somebody in the Christian universe and... It's because they're saying something that's contrary to the Word of God. Well, it doesn't sound nice when you say that and even use their name sometimes. Yeah. I don't do it a lot. I mean, but I do it. Because there's a biblical place for us to turn away from them. Because if I don't turn away from them and they're teaching something contrary and it seeps its way because it's flattering, it's fluffy, I like it. And it gets down into my soul. I'm going to be carrying around a 50-pound block with me. And I'm not going to make any progress. And it's going to be a hindrance in my walk. It's right to turn away from some people. I would dare say that there are some folks here. Listen, a lot of people who come pollute your life with bad ideas, they're they're not talking doctrine. They're talking way of life to you. Oprah Winfrey style. Right? They're not sitting down and saying, well, you know, when I read Romans chapter 16, this is what I believe. No, no, they're just telling you how to be married. They're telling you how to raise your kids. They're telling you how to spend your money. They're telling you where to go on vacation. They're telling you what's important in life. Well, if anybody's coming to you and presenting ideas contrary to them that you've heard, as Paul said, there is a proper thing to do. Turn away from them. I will dare say that, that there are some folks here... Who are being hindered. This would be an origin, another origin, write another one down. Origin of being hindered. Some are being hindered because you won't turn away from certain people. There's something about their life that allures you. You you like being around them. It does something for you. Their ways are contrary. Their pattern of living, their belief system is contrary to what you've understood the Bible to be teaching. But there's just something about them. You just like being with them, don't you? It's hard to break that. Especially if you're new to the kingdom of God and you've got a lot of relationships that are relationships with folks whose lives are centered in the world. Some former boyfriend or some, some person who's influential in your life. And, and you, you kind of don't want to break with that. Listen, 
that relationship is a hindrance to you. You are not walking freely and successfully in some of the categories that you stood up about a little while ago because you won't walk away from a person who is a hindrance in your life. Listen, the hindrances can be a challenge to spot. Look at these passages real quick. Second Timothy 3. <clears throat> says, but understand this. In the last days there will come diff- times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, that one right there, that covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? That just got rid of all of our friends. Don't talk to me after the meeting, okay? All you people, just leave me alone. Look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now hold on to that, because it just said, having the appearance of godliness. Actually look like they're godly. The appearance of godliness. They wear certain godly dynamics about their life. They go to church, speak a little Christianese. Real zealous about certain things, but their life denies the power. What does the next part of the passage say? Avoid such people. It's kind of really, really messes up the flower child movement of Christianity, doesn't it? Well, that's so, isn't that so unloving? Listen, I, I don't, I'm not going to solve the tension for you. I know the Bible says love people, owe them nothing but to love them. And it also turns around and says avoid such people. Now, you have to work out the reality of how you love someone and that you're called to avoid in a certain way. There's a certain way to this that it does get worked out. But it should have a real parameter in our lives. It says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Some of these folks are going to be people who have the appearance of godliness. And yet their life and belief denies the power. Now here's an interesting spin on the origin of a hindrance. Look at Romans 14 here, verse 13. And I put this under the doctrinal element because it would have a little bit to do with how we, how we see the issue of the doctrine of liberty in the grace of God. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance, a scandal on, never to put bait in front of someone, in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 
Now, there are there are elements in our lives where hindrances come into our life in a, in a very this is a backdoor way that a hindrance comes in. It comes in. It's that scandal on dynamic. It's that bait dynamic that is an issue for me, but it's not an issue for you. For me, it's a stumbling block. For me, if I get around that, I'm going down. But for you, it's not. And biblically, I don't have the right to tell you that biblically it's wrong for you. But if you're not going to walk together in some dimensions, the Bible actually calls on you to be aware for me as to what is a bait issue for me. If you get me around that, I'm not coming out of that real good. I'm, I'm not going to survive exposure to that thing that for you doesn't lead to excess. It doesn't lead to bondage. I mean, God's given you some grace and you've never had certain issues in your life. Whatever reason, the eating and drinking and whatever these dimensions would fall into in our modern setting, that doesn't affect you that way. But you know, if you get me around that, you're going to be pulling me out of that thing six months from now, or at least trying to, and I'm not going to be interested in you pulling me out because I'm going to be loving it too much because for me it becomes excessive, becomes controlling, and I begin to walk in sin in a very controlled way. Well, at this point, liberty has turned into a liability for somebody else. And And this is interesting that somebody else's liberty can become a hindrance for you. This doesn't mean that, you know, the, the right way to correct this is not to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. That's not the right way to correct it. That's actually, that attempt at correcting this issue is what has made the church get paralyzed with this issue. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impose on you my beliefs. I can't biblically maintain them. I mean, there's, there's teaching all over this country about alcohol that, that biblically you can't make an argument for. But yet the argument needs to find itself in this passage as well. And us walking together and me having a sense of, is this bait for you? You can put your hands on this thing and it's going to close around you. It doesn't do that for me, but it, it does that for you. Well, pursue what builds up that brother. I have a responsibility to do that because I could be bringing a hindrance into their life by that which is legitimately a freedom for me. What about relational hindrances? I need to move through a couple thoughts here quickly. Marital issues resulting in hindrances to effective prayer. First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's an interesting thought. How many of us would, would say, not to raise your hands, but how many of us would say, we just feel like our prayers lack power? You know, pray for people, pray for circumstances, pray for somebody to be healed, pray for some situation to change, pray for somebody to get saved, pray for a move of the kingdom of God, pray for revival, and just feel like, you know, I'm going through the motions of praying, but, you know, I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of power there. And, and we live, it's almost like this is, that's a tree. It's a big oak tree. And, and all the greenery of it is ineffective prayer. Ineffective prayer. It's all over the place. We do our best to trim it, reshape it, read a book on it. Oh, I need to, I need to fix that. I have to believe this way. And you know, I need another Andrew Murray book. And that would help me. And, and we trim the tree, trim it and trim it and trim it. And don't pay attention to the fact that according to this verse, there's a root here of... 
issues in your marriage that are actually hindering your prayer life. You know, quite often when you have problems with children, you often have problems with a marriage. Just kind of, you know, households that tend to kind of have the screws come out of them, and they don't come out real neatly. It's kind of like, well, you know, all the screws are tight, but this is one. Typically in a household, they start to unloosen all over the place. And so just the discipline, the atmosphere of the home, the marriage component, all that sort of begins to get loose and the kids begin to get out of control and problems begin to grow in their lives. Well, so all that sort of stuff happens. And you're praying for your children. You're praying for them to change and praying for them to overcome things. And there just doesn't seem to be anything happening here. Well, this Bible verse really points the origin of that problem somewhere else. It doesn't say, it's your kids. It's your kids. It doesn't say, it's your prayer life. No, it turns around and it says, no, it's your relationship to your wife. And it doesn't here say that uh, you really do need to stop beating her and move home. It doesn't say that, does it? It just says you are not living with her in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. And as a result of your lack of care, your lack of understanding her, and the dimensions of her life, and and caring for her soul, your prayers are being hindered. So listen, I want us to get in touch with the reality that you and I can get frustrated all over the place and never fix our frustrations. We want to see greater things happen in prayer. Well, go home and fix your marriage. And I think this goes both ways, ladies, by the way. I don't think this is just a husband thing. You know, if you've got issues with your husband, you've got problems, you know, now, don't look for, man, I'm, I'm ready to write Andrew Murray's next book on prayer myself. No, you probably aren't, aren't you? You probably don't have much to say. You probably feel like your prayer life is very ineffective. Well, here's why. Interesting, the word for hindered there, it's a Greek word, enkopto. It's two words, in and kopto, means to cut into. It was used of impeding persons by breaking up the road or by pace, placing an obstacle sharply in the path. This is actually, it was a military technique. Is if they wanted to impede the progress of an army that was marching down the roads, they'd just bust the roads up. Well, that's the kind of hindrance that this is referring to. Quite often, that's the hindrance being described. What about relationship breakdowns? Relationship breakdowns can become a source of hindrance in our lives. We're trying to walk with God. We're trying to have a great life with God. We're trying to minister, trying to glorify God in all these different dimensions of our lives, from business realms to personal to church activity and outreach. But there are aspects of our life relationally that are just wrong. They're out of place. and We're not dealing with those issues. Well, that's actually in this verse here, giving the devil an opportunity. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Remember the situation here. Paul is kind of, most commentators believe, following up on the issue that really took place in 1 Corinthians, uh, most folks believe that this is describing the individual whose sin was so heinous. And Paul highlights it. It's like, you guys are prolific here in Corinth. You sin in ways that even unbelievers don't sin. You're amazing. And, And Paul brings a judgment against a particular individual and says, I've already judged this guy in my heart. He needs to be put out. And so now they believe that this is Paul coming back to address. The season has gone by. Now this man needs to be welcomed back in. Uh, and issues of forgiveness need to be addressed. He says now, verse 5, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure 
not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been done for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that, here's why, here's why forgiveness is so important. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That's a very interesting thought. Here, the Bible clearly links together the ability of the devil to pull schemes off in our lives with issues of forgiveness and unforgiveness between us and other people. If you do not forgive, you are slow to forgive. You actually empower the schemes of the devil. Now, let me just sober you. Right, most of us in this room are, pulling, are, are struggling to pull off how to get enough time to read the Bible. You're not ready to go toe-to-toe with the devil. I know it sounds cool to say that, you know, I'm going to take the devil on. Bring it on, devil! I'm ready for you! he eat you for lunch. He's dealt with much bigger than you or me. I don't want an appointment with him. And if he's scheming, and he's full-time thinking of ways to be a hindrance in the life of a believer, I'm getting told right here, Unforgiveness in my life empowers his schemes. So my question to anybody in this room this morning who has issues that have not been forgiven by you, my question is, what are you waiting for? See, I can't understand why I mean this is so hard in my life. This is hard. That's hard. I feel like I'm swimming in a pool instead of running on this like the brochure. That's hard. That's hard. Well, have you invited hindrances into your life? Because you're unforgiving. Somebody did something so terrible, so close to your own heart. Listen, the remedy for to forgiveness is not to look at that person and figure out whether they deserve it or not. The remedy to forgiveness is to look at what Christ has done to you and figure out whether you deserve it or not. Like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones thought, he says, I say to the glory of God in an utter humility that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. The only reason why any of us would pause for a moment about forgiving another is that the forgiveness that I have received is out of touch with me. I'm out of touch with it. I love C.S. Lewis's thought. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. <laughs> I know, theoretically, this is like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm with you. I know, man. I mean, I've been forgiven. I've got to forgive. You wait till somebody really rolls across your toes wrong on purpose and backs up. <laughs> And see if you're still feeling like, yeah, yeah, I'm so eager. Listen, I know it's hard. 
But do you realize how dangerous it is not to? Do you realize the hindrances that are coming into your life, making everything in your life harder if you will not? What about mission hindrances? Hindrances to the mission. Hindrances for the purpose of slowing the gospel advance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. He, he blew up the roadways and made it to where we could not get to you. We wanted to get to you. But we could not get to you. And Paul uses this strong language. He says, we were torn away from you. The word that he actually uses there is uh, apoorphanizomai. It has the word orphan right in the middle of it there. He's kind of saying, you were orphaned from us. This is a young, fledgling church. They're just getting started. The grace of God is beginning to permeate. People are getting saved. They're needing leadership. Paul's presence needs to be there. They're needing sound teaching. They're needing to be encouraged. This is a vital time. And Paul says, you guys have been torn from me. This is, you know, we are bereft of you, I think the Revised Standard says. This is almost, I mean, the closest thing I could come to is, parents, you've lost your children in Disney World. I think that's how Paul feels. There's a sense of tearing. Where, where are my kids? And they are not safe. And he's very concerned. And he says, we have not been able to come because Satan, Satan has hindered us. It's very illuminating. Now, what were those hindrances? Charles Spurgeon says, Satan had moved the enemies of the truth to industrious opposition. And thus the apostle and his companions were hindered from going to Thessalonica. It may be that Satan had stirred up dissensions and discords in the churches that Paul was visiting. And therefore, he was obligated to stop first in one, then in another, to settle their differences. That's a very insightful thought. I think it actually is probably the best thought. Because Paul does end up sending Timothy. It's, it's him and the other companions that don't get to go. Timothy goes. So it's not like there was no way to get there. If one guy could get there, then the others could get there. But it's like as though he was not able to get released. Now, now, this is an interesting thing here. If you want to find another origin of hindrances that are coming into your life, the people in Thessalonica are being hindered by something right now. They could really use some apostolic help, some teaching in their lives. But they're, they're experiencing hindrances because those who are supposed to be ministering to them are busy dealing with dissensions and discords in another place. That's very revealing. Listen, listen, there are some of us, we go through life at certain points in our lives and, and we, we're not watching our heart carefully and the enemy begins to stir stuff up in our hearts. Dissension. Criticism. Our attitude gets bad. See, we're in the church, so we kind of have this ability now to be badly influencing others as well. We start neglecting issues in our own life, in our own walk, and our marriage begins to suffer. We, you know, at some point here, you're going to take the leaders of the church, and their attention is going to have to come to you. Which is legitimate and right. But beware that you are not allowing the enemy to stir up issues in your own life in such a way that you are, you are becoming a hindrance to others who are not being cared for. Because you are having to be cared for. 
That's not a terrible thing. You should not feel like, oh, anytime I have a need, I should never ask for help. No, not at all. You should. But if you chronically have a need, if you're 10 years old in Christ, and you're not just not managing your own soul and your own life, you're going to require attention from others in the body of Christ who could be serving someone else, and that is becoming a hindrance. That's what the Bible says. Satan hindered. And the people in Thessalonica faced the greatest element of that hindrance. Here's one I love. Madam, I have you come in just a second. How about just a clash of darkness and light? Welcome to the world. There are some who are saved and some who are not. There's darkness and light in this world. There's going to be a clash. When you set darkness next to light, there's going to be a clash. And that is going to create a hindrance. Remember Nehemiah chapter 4? It says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. This is Jerusalem coming back together and being restored. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. They were very angry and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. You know, I'm not sure who your Sanballat and Tobiah are. For me lately, they have been neighbors in Lakeview. That, you know, and, and it's interesting, and I say this kindly because we've really tried to serve these folks and we've tried to do whatever we could to, to be neighbors and come up with ideas and ways that will make all of us sharing the same neighborhood together work. And, and it's almost as though there's, there's nothing you can say that makes them happy. Sure, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll cost more, but we'll do that. Sure, we'll do that too. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's like something more angry. Um, and when you, you stop and you think, you know, wait, let me just get this right. You're very, very concerned about something that happens about two hours out of the week. There's 168 hours in the week. Two of those are going to have a bunch of people in your neighborhood two hours out of that week. Does this really need to be that big of an issue? You know, well, you know, it's not that. It's darkness and light. I don't even think they know why they're so worked up. And this is probably true for some of your neighbors, some of your co-workers, that they're just, you know, interacting with them as a hindrance. You know, you, you carry it. You come home from work and you, you tell your wife, had another run-in with so-and-so today. It's this and that happened. And then they said this and accused of that. And, oh, I'm just so sick of this. Right? You had those experiences? It's darkness and light. It's not always because there's substance to anything that's really being said. It's darkness and light. And the enemy can stir up the darkness. And all of a sudden, just because of what you are and what you believe, there's a clash going on. And there's a hindrance that you're facing now. And there's difficulty. How many hours? I say this in a way that looks like sanctification is happening in my life. You know how many hours have been given to meeting because... Some of these neighbors' issues. I don't have all these hours. I mean, how many hours I've sat with attorneys and thought about strategy and discussion? And well, I'm, I'm thrilled to do that. Absolutely. What about hindrances? This, this is one that we should be aware of and we should be sobered by. Hindrances to corporate success caused by individual hidden sin. 
Some of you will remember the story from Joshua chapter 7. People of God have called to move into the promised land and to take the land. And they have their first great battle at Jericho, and it's a mighty victory. Walls come down, they walk around the building, they shout, the presence of God and the power of God comes. They sort of raid the place, and they come out with all this stuff, and God tells them, listen, that stuff is dedicated for destruction. We're going to destroy all that stuff. Don't you touch it. I want you being corrupted by these things. Well, some knucklehead decides, that's so cool. It's a brand new CD player, MP3, whatever. Certainly, it would make no sense to wreck that thing. I'm just going to take that one thing. So he decides he wants that for himself. He takes it and he hides it in his tent. A few days later, they go off to the next town. And this one's a little bitty town. Hey, we don't need to march around it. We don't need some big fireworks show. Two, three thousand people. We'll take care of them. We'll come back. We'll move on to the next place. A little town called AI. They go up. They send up their 3,000 people to go fight an AI. A few moments later, a bunch of them come running down the hill screaming, running away from the place. They've been whooped. 36 of them are dead. And the Bible says that their hearts melted. See, these brave guys who have the whole land in front of them, they've got to go conquer this whole land right now. And they are being hindered by a melted heart. <laughs> Thank you for that commentary. Peter said they couldn't conquer West Wego. <laughs> uh, where, where did this hindrance come from? Well, this is an interesting thing because Joshua falls on his face as the leader of these people, crying out to God, God, what is going on? We, we've suffered this great, terrible loss, and now all the people in the land... Okay, this is where hindrances, when they slow you up and you hold still for too long, you start thinking stupid. So they're hindered, and they've suffered a loss. Now his mind starts to race. Everybody in the land's going to hear about this, that we're, we have a weakness, we're vulnerable, we can be beaten. My goodness, if this bunch of little people took it to us, what about the big city over here and the giants that we heard about over there? And his mind is racing now, full of fear... Crying out before God. God kind of has one of those moments. Get up. Wipe your nose. Quit acting like a baby, Joshua. Get up and lead these people, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. That's why this happened. Go find it and deal with it. What was the sin in the camp? It was one guy who disobeyed God. And I don't even know that he was out on the battle that day. Probably listening to his MP3 player in his tent. While 36 of his buddies are laying dead on the ground. And the rest of them are running in fear. And an outbreak of fear breaks into the camp. And a huge hindrance has come through this one guy that he didn't bother to tell anybody. It's not like he took out an ad in the paper and said, Warning, I took something. Be ready for problems. You know, nobody walked in here this morning that way either, right? Nobody said, None of y'all know right now, but... I've got lots of secret sin going on. Just want you all to know, beware, hindrances are coming for all of you. No one does that, do you? Should we put that in the bulletin? Wouldn't that be helpful? I've been sinning all week, big time. No interest in repentance. Just want you guys to know, thrust and open the door for hindrances in your life too. Some of you all be dead next week. I mean, that, that doesn't get communicated by us when we're sinning in private, does it? But yet there's a principle here. Charles Spurgeon, the uh, great man of grace that he was, 
says this. Beloved, this is, a, this is symbolic of the Christian church. We might go from victory to victory. Our home mission operations might be successful. And our foreign agencies might be crowned with triumph if it were not that we have Aikens in the camp at home. When churches have no conversions, it is more than probable that hypocrites concealed among them have turned away the Lord's blessing. You who are inconsistent, who make the profession of religion the means of getting wealth, you who unite yourselves with God's people, but at the same time covet the costly Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold, you are those who cut the muscles of Zion's strength. You prevent the Israel of God from going forth to victory. Little do we know, beloved, how Satan has hindered us. We, as the church, have had much reason to thank God, and we have as well. But how many more might have been added to the church if it had not been for the coldness of some, the indifference of others, the inconsistency of a few, and the worldliness of many more? Satan hinders us not merely by direct opposition, but by sending Achans into the midst of the camp. That's an interesting thought. It's a thought that gets played out elsewhere in Scripture. A little passage in Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, there's this sense in which my sin is my sin, and it doesn't have anything to do with you, and that's not biblical. And whoever teaches that is teaching something contrary to Scripture. According to the Bible, the issues of sin that go on in the people of God's life can bring hindrances into one another's lives and into our corporate mission together. The issue being highlighted there in Hebrews is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 29, where the root of bitterness... A bitter root, it's almost like a feeder root that feeds into the tree and it, and it poisons the whole tree. And in Deuteronomy 29, the bitter root is the, is the root of idolatry. Oh, do you, know, do you know how much idolatry is in the body of Christ today? Other things being substituted is more important than God. That's what idolatry is. And that bitter root feeds into the tree and it defiles many and brings hindrances into our lives. Let me just make a couple points here. Matt, go ahead, come on up. There are, there are personal hindrances. You can read Galatians chapter 5 and see how those operate. There are holy hindrances. There are sometimes it is God who's actually opposing you. For good reasons. If you read the passage right here, Paul at one point wants, <clears throat> he wants to go minister, but yet the Lord is restraining him and keeping him from going. He wants to go off into Asia and kind of makes sense. It's the next geographical location for him to travel a little bit north and west into a new area and develop new aspects of ministry. And God keeps restraining him. God hinders him. He's not able to do it, the Bible says. And then, then the Macedonian call comes. And the man comes from Macedonia and calls to Paul, come over to us. And Macedonia is much farther to the west and to the north. And Paul goes over there because that's what God had for him. Sometimes God is actually the one who's hindering you. I think you have to factor that in when we're trying to determine hindrances. This morning, I want to do this before we run out of time here. <clears throat> I, want, I want the Lord to help us and to minister to us this morning in areas of hindrances that we are facing in our lives. I, I first want to make sure we see that, that I, just, I listed 12 
sources or origins of hindrances in our lives. So it's really not just any one of them. There are many opportunities for hindrances to come into our lives. And I'm very concerned for the effect that hindrances have on us if we are ignorant of them. Be ready. Don't be caught off guard. There can be a supernatural realm of hindrance that can just come into your life and all of a sudden you find yourself very disoriented. I mean, just very confused in a season that you just were not expecting that that would be the next wave of thoughts or difficulties. I don't know exactly how Satan turns up hindrances. I don't know exactly how he does it. We see some evidence here. But sometimes it just gets into our head. I remember I was going to ask Butch, I don't remember the name of this village. We, we went and ministered in a village in Mexico. I don't know how many years ago this was now. And I remember when I get off the, the bus, it was so oppressive. It was like you could feel electricity in the air in this village. And then we would go in and we would go door to door and we would invite people to a service that we were having there in the village at night. And I mean, just walking around that whole afternoon... There were these guys playing cards in the town square. They were calling out, and I knew a few Spanish words. Words like muerte, death. And, and it was like voodoo cards they were playing. And there was just this presence of evil that was in that place. And I remember I was preaching that night and, and trying to pray before the meeting. And to this day, I have never had an encounter like this. It's like somebody had reached into my brain and disconnected all the wiring. I could not get a thought in my head. I'm, I'm getting ready to go out and preach. And it's kind of, I don't really care to preach with a translator, so it's kind of helpful to know what you're about to say. I can't get any thought to stay in my head. I'm, I remember I'm praying on the bus, and I, nothing, nothing will come. And I just kind of finally just kind of said, well, I am the guy preaching tonight, so I'll just stand out there. And Lord, you're going to just have to show up, and words are going to have to come to me, because I can't get anything to stay in my head. And God was faithful, but it was very disorienting. It was a hindrance, a very strong hindrance, an intimidating hindrance. Yeah, I'm, that's the only time I can ever remember just standing up in front of a bunch of people with absolutely no idea what's going to come out next. <laughs> I think hindrances produce a disorient. Hindrances can produce discouragement. If you didn't know they were coming, I didn't know this would be so hard. Paul told the Corinthians, I don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction that we experienced. An affliction that was so great that we despaired even of life itself. It's the Apostle Paul, who was facing opposition and hindrance to where he was discouraged and despairing. But we find when you read the rest of that from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you find out God was in it. God was in it to teach Paul not to depend on himself. But on God, to put his hope in God. There was an element that God was actually using hindrance for a great purpose. I think for some here, hindrances in your life have become a great distraction for you. Whether it's personal relationships, whether it's your marriage issues or parenting dynamics, it's almost like you've just become distracted by it. And that's the only thing you're looking at now. It's all you see. You're just staring at this hindrance in your life and something that's not working well, it's not happening right. And you're paralyzed by it. Now, I, think, I think God wants to meet us this morning. 
What do you do with some of these hindrances? Well, some of them, there's nothing you can do about them. If Satan decides to hinder, there's something you just you just can't do anything about it. If, obviously, if God hinders you for reasons that he is hindering you, you can't do anything about that either. But there's a number of these things that that something can and should be done about them. There's some elements here this morning. I believe God God wants to break into some issues that are here. I believe there's some couples that are sitting here this morning. Your marriage has gone stale. Everything about being a wife or husband to the person you're married to has become harder than you thought it would be. You're discouraged. Your marriage is more duty than it is delight at this point. And it's not easy to fix. And you don't even feel like fixing it right now. If God wants to enter into that hindrance, that's a problem. God doesn't want your marriage that way. Listen, you need to be honest, though. You need to be honest with God. Be honest with your spouse. I believe God wants to care for your soul this morning. Doesn't want that to continue. Let's stand up together. Father, come meet with us. Come pervade our time together. Come right upon our hearts. Come motivate our lives. Come awaken us out of slumber, casualness. Lord, this morning we are here and we are experiencing hindrances in our lives. Lord, for some, it's because we have believed the wrong thing. We've chosen to believe what was comfortable for us, what attracted us, what seemed right, but it's not biblical. We can't point to the scriptures as to why we're practicing walking where we are. Not for some, the hindrance is ourselves. We have sown to the flesh and we are reaping from the flesh. And there's some here who are walking in unforgiveness and have opened a terrible door to the enemy. And the hindrances and difficulties are coming from his schemes and activity in life. Or for some, there are, there are perhaps others. Hindrances are coming from without. They are coming from others' lives. They are coming from defilement. Or there may be some here who need to turn away from relationships and make a break with some people that you're showing them that this is, this is why your life is not progressing. This is why you're being impeded. Your walk is being thwarted because there are people in your life who are holding you back. And you're not going forward in God because of their presence and their influence. I believe there's some young people that are here, some youth that God wants to make you aware that there are hindrances that are prohibiting you from growing and going on, becoming greater, getting released from things that are controlling and influencing you, giving you a passion, causing you to to be adventurous in the kingdom of God, to be a risk taker. God, would you bring grace into our lives, Lord? We can't 
produce any merit, Lord. Everything that's a hindrance in our life, we probably have been complaining about, negative about, discouraged about, or left it alone. So, Lord, we, we are not here because we deserve for you to move in our lives. But God, thank you for thank you for grace that motivates you when we are not the source. Thank you for coming to us and pursuing us to do us good. Thank you for a passion to lavish kindness on our lives. God, I pray for couples right now. If you're here this morning and your marriage has been facing significant hindrances, I want to ask you to come forward. I want to ask you to step out from where you are. Listen, if you won't do it with your spouse here, you're not going to go home and do it either. So if you're here and you recognize, I need God to break in. Uh, we, we need a move of God. It's happening in a greater way in our lives. We need to break out of some staleness. Some sameness. We haven't worked on our marriage. We haven't made any fresh deposits or contributions to it. That's where you are. I want you to come forward. I want you to come ask God for grace to overcome hindrances that are currently affecting you. There's some folks here that, that God is speaking to you about turning away from people. Your walk is being terribly hindered because you are keeping company with the wrong people. And something in you doesn't want to turn away from because it's alluring. It's like bait. You enjoy something about it, but nonetheless, God is telling you they're a hindrance. Avoid such as these. If you're here this morning and you're needing to make a decision about avoiding some people that are in your life, I want you to come forward. I want you to come ask God for grace. I want you to come and humble yourself. Acknowledge a need. Lord, I need to break with that relationship. for some young people that are here some youth that are here some young pivot folks your life lacks a passion for God you are being hindered things slowing you up you're not living in a way that that God is all absorbing you don't have much to say about God get drawn out by the kingdom of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God and the purpose of God. You're in danger of, of just going through motions because your family's here. I want to ask for you to, to step out and ask God for grace. Lord, help me. Lord, don't let me stay in, in a place of lethargy. God, don't